look at, at a, a story that happens in the book of 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. Uh, it was an account of an event that took place in the life of Elijah. Elijah is a prophet of Israel. He is a father figure to the nation of Israel at a time where they have literally lost their way. The people in leadership over them, Ahab, uh, his wife Jezebel, have led the nation of Israel away from God. And it's in that moment where there is this void of leadership that is godly that God speaks through a man named Elijah. One of the things that Elijah finds out, if you read that whole account, you know, and, and often probably in your life, you felt this way. You felt at some point in time, if you're walking with the Lord, you probably have felt at some point, man, Lord, there's just nobody left. I'm the only one. I, I, we're the only family that's following God. I'm the only one in my family that's following God. You know, we all have those moments that we get to, and, and, and what the Bible tells us, you know, Elijah told God, God, I'm the only one that's left. And God said, quit whining. And I, I've got 7,000 who have not bailed, bowed a knee to Baal. You, you're not alone, and, and I'm here with you. And, and this morning, as we look at this message about fathers and what it means and, and the actions of a father, I want it to speak to us, to challenge us, but I want you to remember this, okay? Maybe you haven't been the best example of a dad up until this point. Maybe you didn't have the best example of a dad in your life, and you just don't know what it is to be a dad. Or maybe you're just wondering, can I do all this? Our choir did a beautiful job of presenting a song entitled, This Is Amazing Grace. Uh, man, if you walk away with nothing else today than this, I want you to walk away with this. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how bad you think you are. The Word of God is grace. And what it means is, this Father's Day could be a different day for you. From this point forward, things can be different in your life and be different in the way you and I live our life. So we're gonna look this morning very quickly at four things that we read from, uh, about in the life of Elijah, about how we live our lives in a way that honors God. If you have your Bibles open there, please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 30, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said a second time, and they did it a second time, and he said a third time, and they did it a third time, so that the water ran all around the altar, and he even filled the trench with water. At the time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you are Yahweh, you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. A couple of things that this passage teaches us about what we're supposed to do. How do we as dads? I mean, if I, if I were to hand you a Bible and say, here, Dad, lead your family, a lot of us would go, yeah, right. Okay, how do we lead? What are the things that we ought to do? Well, Scripture has biblical patterns that we can follow. And there's some reasons that those things are there. And, and in this account of Elijah, we see him being a father figure 
to the nation of Israel. He's teaching them some things that ought to be, we ought to seek as dad to have in every aspect of our life. And the first thing is, is that we ought to intentionally capture attention. Look at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah wanted to get their attention. They're at a period in their history. They walked away from God. They're worshiping the Baals, uh, foreign pagan fertility gods. Ahab and Jezebel have led them. Uh, Ahab has given in to his wife. His wife has actually influenced him and, and she's led him to do this. And He's just kind of gone along with the flow and so the nation has absolutely no spiritual authority. They have no root, no anchor and they are lost in their pursuit, okay? They, they've come out of uh, the period of the kings. They've come out of the period of following after God and doing all that stuff and, and, and we move here to this period where uh, Israel and Judah are splitting uh, the nation, uh, the northern tribes, Israel in particular, are, are chasing after the things of the world. And, and so it's into that setting that Elijah comes and Elijah speaks. Now, the reason this is important is because today there is a philosophy of parenting that is prevalent in our society. And it basically says this. I'm going to let my kids decide what they do spiritually. I'm not going to push them. I'm not going to make a decision for them. I'm just going to let them kind of grow up. And, and, and basically what that is, is it's just a cop out saying, I'm not going to go to church and take them to church. And I'm just going to let them see if they get it. Now, let me tell you why I don't think that that's a really wise philosophy because it's not the philosophy we follow in any area, other area of our life. You don't let your kids get up when they're six and decide whether or not they want to go to school. We want them to have an education. We want them to learn. We want them to be, you know, wives in, in, in the things that's going to take them to get a job. So why would we trust the spiritual things to happenstance? You don't let your six-month-old baby look at you and say, hey, Dad, today I don't want that baby food. I want a cheeseburger. Okay? You know at six months a cheeseburger is probably not good for your baby's stomach. Okay? You, you nurture that child. You, you get them to bed on time. You bathe them. You clean them. You feed them. You nurture that child. So why would we think that we don't need to nurture the spiritual aspects of the lives of our children? Well, that's exactly where Israel had gotten herself. Nobody had nurtured her. And, and because of that, she has gone astray. And it's in that moment that Elijah comes as this father figure and he says, come near me. Now, that, that phrase, he's not just saying, hey, pay attention. What he's saying is, I'm fixing to worship I want you to come worship with me. I want you to be with me in worship. There's some things that are fixing to happen. I'm fixing to remind you of your history. I'm fixing to take you back to your heritage. And I want you to come with me in worship. He was telling them, come with me to worship. There was a guy who was a Puritan pastor back in the 1600s, 1608 to 1680s. His name was Thomas Brooks. And he said this, example is the most powerful rhetoric. In other words, don't tell me, show me. Your example will speak, you know, anybody ever heard the phrase, your actions speak louder than your words? That's exactly what he was saying. I mean, that's where that came from and something he said in the 1600s. But it shouldn't surprise us then today that the number one contributing factor as to whether or not a child will grow up to walk with the Lord is the faith and practice of their fathers. Scientifically, sociologically, true. Not the practice of their mothers, 
Mom can get you up and take you to church and wipe your nose and put you in, 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 you know, in, in Sunday school from the time you're a little snot until you grow up. But it is going to be the spiritual practice of the father that determines whether or not a child will walk in faith in adult years. That is something that we need to realize. So here's the deal, dads. I don't care what example you've been up to this point. I don't care what example you had. Remember, this is amazing grace. It is a new day. You get to start over. That's the beautiful part about God's grace. I can start over. If I mess up yesterday, new, it's grace. God's mercies are fresh and new every single morning. New day. So quit making excuses and start being the spiritual influence in your home that you need to be. Now the second thing that Elijah does, not only does he tell them, hey, come with me to worship, don't just go to worship, but come with me, but the second thing he does is he sets up a place for worship. Look at uh, verse 32. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh, then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. What had happened is when the prophets of Baal kind of got into power, one of the things that people would do in this day to demonstrate their strength, it's kind of like, you know, if you have a rivalry with somebody else that's real close to you and, and, and you go and steal their mascot, you know, that was kind of what, it was kind of this sign of strength. That's kind of what they did. The prophets of Baal come into power and as a demonstration of their strength, they go and they tear down the altar that had been set up for the worship of Jehovah God. Now the altar that was set up that Elijah builds on Mount Carmel is an altar that was established when Saul, the first king of Israel, led the nation of Israel in their first victory against the Amalekites. God delivered a more powerful, stronger army into the hands of Israel. And to commemorate that victory and God's leadership and God's authority and God's power, Saul, as king, set up an altar on Mount Carmel to worship. And so this is, a, this is something that has been a traditional place of worship, okay? We've come through the period of kings. That's 120 years that Israel has been worshiping consistently in this place. And we are now well into the book of kings and into this part of Israel's history. So he, they came, prophets Baal come, they tear down the altar and worship stops. Elijah comes and he says, there is a place. And notice also the time of the evening sacrifice. There is a time for worship. And so Elijah doesn't just say, go to worship. Elijah says, come with me to worship as I worship God. But then he also says, let's go to a place that is specifically set up and set apart for worship. You and I as dads, as men in our homes, as men in our communities, as men in our jobs, as we lead in every single area, we need to have a regular place and time that is consistent and continuous that we come to and get to come to to worship. Now here's the beautiful thing. You already have it. Every Sunday morning, there are two opportunities at this place, 8, 30, and 11, to come to worship. You don't have to go to your house and build an altar. You don't, you know, now, now I personally think it's great. I personally think you need to have some time as a family where you gather together to worship. And that needs to be a set place and a set time. And it doesn't need to be necessarily when the Cowboys are playing. Okay, see, we have set times of worship, don't we? You're a Rangers fan. You've worshiped all weekend. Every time the Rangers were on. You're a Cowboys fan. When football season's going, you have a set time of worship. You sit down and you devote hours to worship. 
okay, pastor, you just quit preaching and went to meddling, okay? <laughs> Understand, all right? But what we need to do is we need to have a consistent time where we worship God. And, and it needs to be the expectation of our family, not the exception. Not just on special occasions, Dad. Hey, remember grace. If you haven't been the best example up to now, fresh start. You get to start over. If your dad wasn't the best example, trust me, mine wasn't. Okay, my mom and dad divorced when I was eight years old. To this day, I can count probably on two hands the number of times that my father has darkened the door of the church. And two of those were the death, the, the, the memorial service for his parents. I didn't have a great example about a father taking me to church. But I had a great example in my granddad. I had a great example in my other granddad. And I had a great example in my, my uh, people that taught my Sunday school class. And a great example in my high school coaches. And a great example in my RA leaders. And a great example in, in, in the, 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 the people that sang in the choir and did my high school Baptist young men. I had great examples all around me. I had grandmothers that were godly and loved me. Grace. No matter where you've been, only matters where you are today and where you're headed tomorrow. And, and the third thing that this passage teaches us, not only do I need to get people, go, don't just tell them to go, but you bring them. And I want to set a place, but the third thing is I set the purpose for worship. Look at verse 36. Last part. Verse 36, first part. At the, at the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And there's two words here. He says, Lord, Yahweh, that's the proper name of God. And then he says, God, Lord, Yahweh, Elohim. That's what he says here. Elohim, the supreme God, the God of gods. And so he uses the personal name because he has a personal relationship with Yahweh. Yahweh, Elohim. And then he says this, the God of Abraham and Isaac, the past, and the God of Israel, the present and the future. He points them to worship. And this is what he says. Today let it be known that you are God. That you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant and that you're at your word I have done all these things. Let it be known today that your word is true. Let it be known today that nothing has changed about you. Let it be known today that you are God. And so what worship is supposed to do and what Elijah teaches us that worship is supposed to do is it points us back to the fact that God is God and he is the true God and he is the authoritative God and that he is God alone and that I am not God. And I worship him because he is, period. What I have to realize is that worship is not about me or mine. It's not about what appeals to me. I said this in the early service. Worship cannot be a ritual. Okay, worship can't be just the time that we do something on Sunday morning. It can't be just that I come and I check the box. And that's what's happened too much today. Worship is the recognition that God is God alone, that I am not God, and that he is authoritative, and he is to be Lord and God in my life. And nothing changes about that. My circumstances don't change the fact that he's God. Good or bad times don't change the fact that he is God. Good or bad health, good or bad finances, nothing changes the fact that he is God. And worship is the recognition on my part that he is God. That's worship. And it doesn't matter, quite honestly, traditional worship. 
or contemporary? Blended or King James? NIV, Holman American Standard. Suit and tie, casual shirt. 8.30, 11. Saturday night, Sunday morning. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. I, I, I told the early service, I, I'm not musically inclined. Okay? I was in band up until the eighth grade. And, and I, was, I played the sax. And I liked it. But when we got into eighth grade, we had to make a choice. The school I went to, we weren't a small school, it was a big school. Had to make a choice, athletics or band. And my high school band teacher, the soon-to-be high, he said, you're probably going to football, right? <laughs> yes, I am. Okay? I'm not musically inclined. I don't have a great vocal talent. I sing in a choir surrounded by a lot of people who sing good. <laughs> Larry is blessed, called, and gifted of God to lead in worship and to sing and to play musical instruments. Okay, I took guitar lessons. Okay? If I were called to lead worship here, it would be painful. But here's the deal. You and I can still make a choice to worship. Because worship is the recognition that he is God. It doesn't matter what's going on. I can worship going down the road. I can worship on my back porch. There are times, I try to have a little bit of time of worship every day before I leave the house. And, and there are times that I've gone out on the back porch and I just sing. And I go out on the back porch so nobody else in the house has to hear me. Okay, But, but, but I worship. Worship is not, it has one purpose. It is the recognition that he alone is God and that I'm not. And that is a choice that I make. And that's exactly what Elijah told the nation of Israel here. Come and worship. And what happens to us is as we worship God as long as things are going our way. But the moment things begin to shift or change or it's not working out the way we thought or the job didn't come or the money's short or it's tight or, or my health, all those things, then all of a sudden we begin to try to change who God is. It's exactly what happened with Eli and Samuel. Eli is the priest, and Eli's sons have rejected God, and Eli's not following God the way that he should. And Samuel is a young boy who's born. His parents have dedicated him to the Lord, and they dedicated him to the point that he now, as a small boy, is living and growing up in the temple. He's there with Eli. And there's a, an event that happens in his life. He's a young boy, and, and God had not yet spoken to him. He's laying at the foot of the altar. The lamp of the Lord has not yet gone out. He's tending the wick. Eli, his priest, has gone to sleep, and he hears a voice that says, Samuel. God calls his name. He doesn't know God. He hasn't heard God. But he gets up. He thinks it's Eli. Gets up and runs in. Yes, master, you called. And Eli said, I didn't call you, son. Go back to sleep. You're hearing things. Happens a second time. He comes in. Eli says, I didn't call you. Go lay down. Happens a third time. He comes in, he said, I didn't call you, go lay down. But Eli now recognizes what's happening. He says, Samuel, the next time you hear the voice, if you hear it again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. Long story short, he goes lay down. God speaks. Samuel responds. God tells him about his future. And he says this, I've rejected Eli. His, his sons are going to die for the sins that they've committed because they've, uh, they've, they've made the priesthood blasphemous. I've rejected Eli as priest, and I'm going to raise you up as a, as a Savior, a Messiah, a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And you're going to lead the nation of Israel back. 
Next morning, he wakes up. He's got this in his head because you see, Samuel is at the point of allowing God to be God or not in his life. He loves Eli. Eli's taken care of him. Eli's led him. Eli has been his life up to this point. So he comes to Eli in the morning and Eli says, Hey, Samuel, what did God tell you last night? And you can just see him. He don't want to tell Eli the truth. See, Samuel's just like all of us. Sometimes when God speaks a difficult word into our lives, we want to change it. We want to hear it differently. And Eli looks at it and he says, Samuel, tell me the truth. And if you don't tell me, may God deal with you, be it very severely, if you don't tell me the truth. So Samuel tells him the truth. And you know what Eli tells him? He's the Lord. He's God. He's going to do what he thinks is good. You let him be God. And that's what worship is. That I recognize that he is God regardless of what's going on in my life. Good, bad, or indifferent. He's God. Don't just tell them to go to worship, Dad. Just take them. Have a place. Teach them the purpose. It is to recognize that he is God. And when we do that, the fourth thing, very quickly, that happens in my worship. Verse 37. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that the people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you've turned their hearts back. When I get it right, When I come to worship with the right purpose, the thing that I am reminded the most about in life is grace. God answers, and that word for answers just means that God pays attention. He hears. And probably there's some of you here this morning, and and you've prayed some prayers, and you've offered some stuff up to God, and it hadn't worked out the way that you thought or the way that you wanted, or the way that you dreamed, and what you've gotten to, and where we all get to, I've been there in my life, as we think, maybe God's just too busy. He's got too many balls, and my, my ball slipped out of his hands. He wasn't paying attention, but Elijah teaches us, no, God answers. God is paying attention. God wants to be involved in your life. And when he gets involved in your life, he turns your heart back. Repentance, grace, This is amazing grace. I get to walk again. I get to start over. And I get to understand the place of God in my life, in everything I do. When I come and I remember in worship who God is, it leads me to repent and to recognize Him for who He is. The song that our choir, that that we taught, that that last song, uh, Jesus Loves Me. Do you understand God is for you? He is not against you. He is on your side. And he wants you to know that in life. Father's Day is a very special day for me. Always has been. But but I remember the birth of all three of my kids. I I remember, as messed up as this sounds... I got to hold the kids. I, 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 I'm thankful that, that I grew up in an era, era, era where I got to be in the birthing room and I got to hold, I got to hold Kara and Colton and Clay before Laurie ever did. Now, it's kind of messed up considering what moms go through to get them here. But I got to hold them. 
And, and I can remember distinctly the first day I held Kara and I looked into her eyes. Okay? I remember Father's Day, 1991. Father's Day, when I held my son who was born on Father's Day, my oldest son, my firstborn son. I remember the day that Clay was born. Okay, and I remember holding them and I remember looking at them and I remember they are my kids. They have my last name. I remember the first thing I did or thought about doing when Kara was born. I went and bought life insurance. I wanted to leave her something. She was a full heir. She hadn't done anything. She hadn't said, Dad, I love you. She hadn't made me some little cute tie like Ryan had on. I, I mean, I, you know, I, she, she couldn't do anything. She didn't even know who I was. She couldn't even see me. I mean, kind of make it out, and she knew my voice, but she didn't know who I was. She had never said, Dad, I love you. She had never smiled. She threw up on me the first time I held her. And continued to do that consistently for a large part of the first year of her life. Colton hadn't done anything. Father's Day, your first son, I'm holding him. He hadn't done anything, but he was a full heir. Clay. Clay came out upside down. Okay? He was backwards. Has been his whole life. But the moment they were born, they were full heirs. Didn't deserve it, hadn't earned it, hadn't hit their first home run, hadn't pitched a no-hitter, hadn't made 100 on a test, hadn't, hadn't made me any, I mean, nothing. They had done nothing to contribute to the Brewer name except be born. And I remember holding each one of my kids and thinking, God, is this how you see me? I didn't do anything to deserve it. I haven't done anything to earn it. I can't. Yet he says, full air. All the benefits, grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, eternity, it's yours. Full air. If you'll let me give you new life through my son, Jesus Christ. Father's Day. So where are you? in your relationship to your Heavenly Father.